When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, welcome back to In The Pink with me, Natalie Pinkham and Bose helping you stay connected through the lockdown and beyond. And when I say beyond, isn't it lovely just to be easing ever so slightly? My kids went back to school and nursery this week. It's kind of strange, though. The the house feels really empty and quiet, um, but they're loving it and seeing all their friends again. So it's got to be a good thing. Thank you so much for all your feedback on the various guests that we've had lately. We've got another cracker on the way. Now, this is a television star who has been in the industry for many, many years. What you may not know is she started out as a journalist in print and she got uh, an incredibly curious brain. Um, She likes to ask some of the hard questions and she's got strong opinions and views on plenty of things. Um, And she gives us a great behind-the-scenes account of X Factor. I am, of course, talking about Kate Thornton. Um, I had a lovely chat with her a few weeks ago now, so it relates to the beginning of the lockdown in a lot of our conversation. But anyway, I think you'll find a lot of what she says absolutely fascinating. Here she is, Kate Thornton. How lovely to see your face and to hear... And yours. How are you? All right. Finding our... This is day 17 for me. Day 17. Um, and yeah, just getting my head around it all, trying to stay really positive. Um, and sometimes you have, you know, I have the other hour where I slip off my positive step. Yeah. <laughs> Full face first into a glass of wine and then I get over it. Um, but no, mainly positive, trying to keep some structure in my day and trying to keep some perspective on all of this. Um, so do you slowly... say 17 because you've had symptoms or because you were being extra cautious from the start? Because most people have just had just over a week of full lockdown. Yeah. No, I had a letter from um, a producer on a show. So I'd been on Laura Whitmer's, Laura Whitmer's Five Live show. And I got a letter saying that one of the guests that had been on the show, show in the studio with us, and I didn't have huge contact with this guy, um, had subsequently flown back to Australia and been diagnosed as having COVID-19 therefore I had been in close enough proximity with somebody that I decided to self-isolate even though I've um, to this day I've, I've still not shown what I know to be symptoms or I believe to be symptoms but it just felt like it was the right thing to do. 
Well, good on you for doing the right thing. That is, that is, it, it is a scary time. I think you've touched on it then about the positivity. That just seems to be everything. And I think that, um, I don't know about you being a mum, homeschooling, it, you know, it, not just yeah. keeping your own morale up, you're keeping that up, keeping up of theirs. And the whole house... Trying to manage what you, what you message out to them on this. Um, trying to make sure that when my son walks into a room that I turn the news down uh, because I want to manage how this is messaged to him and not for him to see some of the stuff that's, that's quite rightly being broadcast because we need to be aware of just how serious this is. But some of it for an 11 year old mind, I'm just mindful is, is probably a little bit too much. And where I live, um, so I'm in Dulwich, my local hospital is King's and King's this morning announced that tragically a 13 year old boy had passed away yesterday there and yeah it just that's on my doorstep you know my son's gonna turn 12 in lockdown that could be it, it just yeah that stuff that stuff I, I it's one of those stories that I actually couldn't read to the end because I just I had too many tears in my eyes you know his family couldn't be with him um he died alone and you know the mum in me sorry mum in me just can't really begin to process what that family are going through so it's just unbelievably um sad and every death is sad but a 13 year old boy with no underlying health conditions just kind of um yeah puts a horrible new lens on it because really we were told our, our children are safe or not that they're safe but they're not as susceptible and predominantly that is the truth in terms of the data that's coming out of this but I don't know. That's no comfort yeah. to the, the boy's family, you know? No. no, not at all, not at all. And I've just literally, um, thank you for moving today, by the way, but I've literally just started a new show, um, which I'm recording from home. And I've just done an interview with uh, an A&E doctor, Dr. Alex George, uh, from, uh, who works at University Hospital in Lewisham. They, had about, they were admitting 20 to 30 COVID 19 patients to intensive care last week so you start to you start to peer into what is uh, the eye of the storm and it's, yeah perspective that you probably uh shouldn't have a look at unless you're in a really strong frame of mind rather than having a wobble so you know it is obviously an incredibly tough time um one thing that i'm finding and i don't know about you in terms of keeping the morale up you're absolutely right to limit the amount of news that you watch because you find yourself getting like sucked into it, don't you? And you just think, I'll just watch another minute and another minute, another minute. Before you know it, it's, it's, it's sort of permeating every aspect of family life because it's on in every room. But one thing I found the other day um, was I could sense that everyone was getting a little bit low. And we did a dance off and we filmed a dance off and we sent it on and sent the challenge on and on and on. And some of the responses I got, I mean, I'm still laughing now. It's that's brilliant now. You've got to find ways to cope. For me, Zoom's become like my social life. So we all have these kind of big girl ensemble uh, collective get togethers and everybody kind of opens a bottle of wine or pours themselves a gin and tonic. And we just sit and we chat and we offload and we listen and you know one minute you're laughing the next minute somebody's having a little cry and and all of those things are great 
because we need to, to release all of that. Um, uh, so that's been really helpful. But yeah, challenges, anything really that will just distract. Yeah. I think, and, and it's not... It's not wrong to distract yourself at a time like this. I've, I've now, because I am a news junkie at the best of times. So I had to, I mean, I think for the first week, I just was glued to the news. And to the point that I'd get into bed and I could hear the BBC news bed going in my head, like. I thought, oh my God, I could have, you know, this is ridiculous. Um, so I kind of weaned myself off it. Now what I do and again, I just, I found that structure is really important. So mm. I get up at the same time every day, spend homeschooling, dreading the Easter holidays, just saying. <laughs> um, are you going to keep homeschooling up during the Easter holidays? Or are you going to let him have fun? Like I think, I think his school have been brilliant and they are going to set him projects. So I'll help him with his projects, but just, they need the downtime. We forget this is, this is so much for their little heads. Mm. that actually a chance to just be is probably a good thing mm. but us you know I, I mean personally for me i would love homeschooling to continue because it gives him structure yeah um, but do they need time to reflect and figure this out probably so it's probably not a bad thing he'll have done two weeks at homeschool by the time he breaks up um so we'll see i'll just take it day by day yeah. uh, Word searches and puzzle books, and we've got board games, and we, we're real card sharks, me and Ben. Uh, we love a game of blackjack. So, um, but we're trying not to do everything at once. I'm like, let's save the cards, save the cards for week six, because there's going to be a week six, you know? So just to try to eke it all out. But no, what I was saying, I'm going to go back and say about the news is I've now kind of um, built it into my day because I'm, I'm a control freak. I hold my hands up, I need structure. I work well with structure. So I get up in the morning and I read the news and then I put it to one side and I work and I do my workouts and I work with Ben. And then I down tools at five o'clock and I watch the press briefings because I want to hear from the people that are leading us through this, from, from the horse's mouth, if you like. So I watch that and then I go back at 10 o'clock and I've literally fallen slightly in love with Tom Bradby at ITV and Robert Peston, who's still self-isolating. I'm very worried about Robert. Uh, he seems well, though. Uh, even swearing during press conferences from Downing Street, which is slightly brilliant. I heard him come on air one day, just about to ask his question. He went, oh, shit. I thought, that's why I love you, Robert. You're real. Uh, so I watched them. I find the, the BB, ITV's news output, I think, has been brilliantly well-balanced and challenging and fair and pitched perfectly. So that's my news for the day. And then I don't look at it anymore. But weirdly... I thought, oh my God, I'm going to just eat my way through Netflix and Amazon Prime. I haven't watched anything. I can't concentrate on anything. I can't follow a narrative. I just find myself kind of, my mind won't, my mind can't do it at the moment. I'm hoping that will change. I can read, I read books. I can't follow a box set and I, you know. And is that because your mind is elsewhere or is it because, you know, many of us actually revel in the escapism of a box set at the moment. Hmm. And if you've got any recommendations, I will dive on in. Um, we just watched Hunters um, on Amazon with uh, Al Pacino, and it's about um, a uh, a vigilante group in the seventies in New York who are Nazi hunters. I've got to say, it's pretty violent, uh, uh, but it is brilliantly, brilliantly done. Um, it will. There's a lot of dark humour in it, but also. Um, 
incredible sadness because it takes you back to the Holocaust. I mean, I've sobbed a few times, but I've also laughed a lot. It's, it is, it, I think, brilliantly done. It's bloody hard to find something that both my husband and I will watch. We've exhausted all sports documentaries. We've done that. And then beyond that, we don't actually, the Venn diagram doesn't cross over enough. Well, I tell you, there's a great series that I watched on, I think it's Netflix. Um, if you want a good doc series that tells a great story, but it's not sports, so it, it, it's music, it's called The Defiant Ones. Oh, I've seen it. It's amazing. Amazing. It's one of the best ever. Isn't it? Absolutely it's great. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, 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 yeah. I oh. loved that. So I'm looking for those little pearls. That, that, I know, um, I know. I know. Uh, I think those are the things I, I just need to find something that's going to take me away from my constant thinking. Yeah. About I know. And, and the, like I'm thinking about the news in, in terms of what's happening outside of our four walls. I'm thinking about cleaning our four walls, cooking within our four walls. And I just think I need to, I'm, I'm sort of week two and a bit. I just, it's like when you go on holiday, it takes you a few weeks to relax, you know, a few days to relax into it. Mm. I think I just need to slow down a little bit. Take the pressure off yourself, maybe slightly. Yeah, stop cleaning. You have got an inquisitive mind. There's the news hackers in you. You started out as a journalist, didn't you? Yeah, and I still consider myself to be, um, you know, a, te- a journalist in terms of how I present shows, the podcasts I do. I spend hours researching every guest, and the questions are carefully constructed so that uh it, it's a, it's a gate that opens up a wider conversation um to get the very best out of the guests so yeah i started i came to london uh when i was 19 uh, to study journalism uh i had to get a job very quickly uh, on a work placement um and so i started out at the mirror um, and became their youth columnist because they just had no young people there. Um, so I, I kind of, you know, I lucked out and then I didn't stay very long. Within <laughs> within 18 months, I'd, I'd jumped ship and I was the editor of Smash Hits uh, when I was 21, which was... Um, really cool. Editor yeah. 21. Yeah. Yeah, it was a teenage magazine, so I guess it should be steered by somebody that, you know, can remember their teens. Um, but more importantly, I was... The for me, I was the first woman to edit that, that magazine. And that felt like um, in a year where kind of girl power imploded and exploded around the world, I felt like, you know, I had my own little experience of girl power by um, yeah, putting a woman in the chair. Very cool. And what were your kind of scoops when you were, when you were a journalist, both at the Daily Mirror and Smash Hits? What were your defining moments? Um, I think... Um, with smash hits, I think it was it had to be around the Spice Girls. Really, I don't think I had any big scoops at the Mirror. Um, I wasn't very scoopy. Um, but I think when I moved into my first television role, it was for a current affairs show, um, and we'd only been on there eight weeks when Diana died, um, Princess Diana, and we were a live Sunday t- Sunday lunchtime news show, and she died in the early hours of Sunday morning, and they kept us on air. And uh, I had to find, I had to cut together a tribute to, to Diana with, with it through the kind of lens of a, of a, a princess for the young, because uh, it was a youth current affairs show. And I had to find a piece of music to go with that tribute. And I had, the music library was shut because it was a Sunday. And all I had in my car that was in any way appropriate, apart from banging Ibiza dance tunes, uh, was Candle in the Wind by Elton John. And so I played that out over that tribute. And obviously that song went out 
and on to become the biggest selling song in the world of all time. Not because I did that, but because somebody would have played it. But I, I, yeah, it was pretty no, much. Well. It started with you. I don't know that it started with me. A Sky News, Kay Burley had some sort of Twitter spat recently with Nick Knowles, who was my co-presenter on the show. And she, she'd said that they'd played it first, which, you know, maybe they did. I don't know. I was on air. I'm, I'm not going to challenge her. But Nick did. He waded in with both feet and was like, I think you're fine. And I was like, whoa, okay, I'll let you two work this one out. I, I don't care who went first. It felt, like, it felt like the best thing I had in that moment to help to score a moment of national mourning. Wow, that was incredibly perceptive of you because obviously the song was originally written for Marilyn Monroe, wasn't it? She was on that, well, for that generation, for that yeah. moment in time back in 97, that's what she was. Absolutely, but to have that presence of mind at a young age, but also uh, when everyone's in shock, you yeah. must be very proud of that moment. I am looking back now. At the time, it was, I mean, I literally, I can, I can remember it well. It was, it was the 90s. I had very low rider jeans on. And I remember being literally just rifling through my car. Uh, all of our production uh, was based in a porter cabin in a car park in Southampton. And I, I can still remember now trying to jar the door open of the, of the library, the sound library. Just, I've got to get some music. And they were like, it's shut. It was like my, my car, rifling through the car. And then I found Elton John's greatest hits. It's like, there's got to be something. There's got to, that's the one. Track listing, ran my finger down it. That's the one. Put that on. And it, I don't think it was any more thought out than that. I was on a deadline. Well, I'm impressed. Okay, time for Bose's handy tips about how we can all cope a bit better over the next few weeks and potentially months um, under lockdown. I think that's part of the problem, isn't it? We just don't know how long this is going to last. And that lack of control over our own lives can let anxiety creep in. But hopefully, if we can all follow these little nuggets of advice, it may just help. Okay, first of all, take time for yourself to stay centred and sane. Number two, seize moments of calm. They may be few and far between, but they are out there. You just need to grab them with both hands. Number three, find your sanctuary away from the chaos. Now, if like me, your whole house is chaotic, then that might be hard. But there must be a little corner somewhere where you can take yourself off and just have a moment or two. Because remember, timeouts aren't just for kids. It's really important to take a little me time because it can go a long way. I know that sounds a bit selfish because I always feel guilty if I go off and read a book or listen to some music or have a bath, all three at the same time. But I think and hope that we all come back to our jobs in the house with the kids, with our family, as better mothers, better partners, more productive, if we have taken a bit of time out. Cabin fever is real. So one way to smash that oppressive feeling is to learn something new. Take up a new hobby, for example. Don't resist and fight the new norm. Embrace it. Shape it to suit you. For example, you could move rooms, change the layout at your home, create a new space dedicated to a new hobby. Make working for home work for you. Don't be afraid of the silence if indeed it exists at any point during your day, it can be truly golden after all. Try to block out unhelpful noise and that will also reduce your anxiety. 
It's not where you work, it's how you work. So make it work for you with a little bit of help from Bose. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Feel more. Do more. Be more with Bose. And uh, your your big break, uh, you, you talked about the current affairs programme in television, um, but obviously I guess what most people know you for is X Factor. Yeah. How does a curious journalistic brain like yours cope with doing a show like that that's, well, I'm not going to put words into your mouth, but <clears throat> seems quite manufactured maybe. Um, yes. And I presume you would have asked a lot of questions of that at the time. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, yeah, I, well, well let, I'll give you some kind of background to, so, to how I ended up on that show. So when I was at Smash Hits, um, I worked very closely with Simon Fuller, who uh, managed the Spice Girls. Um, I, like, and I like Simon enormously. I think he's a man of huge intelligence and integrity, and integrity is so important. Um, and so I'd forged a relationship with him, and... Uh, and I, I thought he, I always thought he was a bit of a visionary, and and I was also separately working with Simon Carroll, who was this A and R guy that used to ring me up and try to pitch like Robson and Jerome to go on the cover, or could I do um, a lyrics pull out on the Power Rangers single he was putting out? And I liked Simon, and again enormously. They're two very different characters, but um, he was a brilliant salesman. He was great company, very funny, and whilst I was doing my first current affairs show in telly, they had gone on to, um, to start the idea of Pop Idol. So they, they'd gone and pitched that together. And I ended up getting the job as the ITV2, on the, as the host of the ITV2 show on Pop Idol. And um, what had happened there was ITV2 had never done a spin-off show before, but Pop Idol had been on air, I think, six weeks, and it was doing really, really great numbers. And I got this call saying, do you fancy doing the spin-off show? Uh, I think Simon Fuller had put me forward for it. One of the Simons, maybe Cowell, I don't know. And uh, I went in and we did 11 hours of output a week of literally just people like Darius stood next to a piano warming up. 
and me just constantly asking questions and literally putting the whole process under a microscope. So actually, I felt like I'd, I'd, I'd had a chance to, there was a massive moment in popular culture unfolding and I was right in the heart of it going, what about this? What about that? And, it, and the storytelling opportunities actually were enormous. And you think about that first series, we had Gareth Gates with his stutter, you know, the boy that sang like an angel but couldn't speak. We had Will Young, the last person to be seen for the auditions, who I'd actually previously cast on this morning alongside Simon Cowell in a boy band that we put together. <laughs> Weird. I know, right? Can you believe it? Alongside Lee Ryan and Anthony Costa. I know. That's where they met. Weird. Um, and then you had Darius, Darius the comeback kid, who had been ridiculed when he'd done Popstar's Arrivals, but came back onto Pop Idol and reinvented himself. So actually there were these three amazing storylines that were running and I was helping to almost like a, the right, you know, I was helping to write them and they were everywhere. That was such a huge moment. With Pop after Pop Idol, we were asked to advise the government on how to inspire young people to vote. What's that all about? You know, I think people forget what a kind of seismic moment it was. And at the end of the second season, we only did two seasons here, I was then asked, I was pulled aside and asked by ITV, would I go and host X Factor? Um, so that's how I ended up doing that show. Um, and obviously being the main host on ITV One was a very different role to asking a gazillion questions for 11 hours a week on ITV Two. But I loved both shows and I was very proud of them. Um, and you know, whatever the X Factor's gone on to be, for the years that I was there, I, I, I loved what I did and I loved who I worked with and I'm still in touch with so many from the team. And it was, it was a real, it was a, it was a wonderful moment for me in my working life um, and a complete, and it took me into a different place. It took me into those big shiny full Saturday night studios that I'd never thought I'd end up in. And sometimes, you know, there's a lesson in that. It's like, stop planning the hell out of your life because life will happen while you're busy making plans. That's so true. Did you have uh, much kind of input on the editorial side of things? Because clearly both Simons respected your production now, if you like, but you are fronting it. How much control did you have over um, what you were saying, how the, the, the show was constructed? On, on the ITV2 show, loads, because we were such a small team. No spin-off show had ever been done before. We were literally making up as we were going along. So tons and tons. And then the role was very different on the, as the main host on X Factor. You know, it was a hello, welcome, that was, this is, up next. That was my job. I was like a traffic cop. Um, so actually, when you think about it like that, I'm an on-screen narrator. I'm probably no more important than that. And I'm just the girl that gets the judges on and off the stage, the singers on and off the stage, reads out the numbers for the public, we'll be back after this break. Up next. Right. That's all it is. Um, so they're very different roles. So I had very little input on X Factor beyond I would sit and meet with the executive producer once a week and we would write the script. But the script had to be tight. You know, those shows... You don't want to waste moments on those shows on scripted links. Nobody tunes in for the presenter, you know, as... as, as I know you say that, but it does make a big difference if you like the presenter. You've got to like them, but you, they're not the call. But, you know, they're, they're, not, they're, they're not going to put bums on seats. What you're tuning in for is those moments where somebody stands up and sings and it brings the house down, where they're moved emotionally afterwards in an interview scenario... Those, that, you know, that's, that's where I suppose I had, had a role to play, was making sure that I, I was the arm around the contestants. Mm. Um, I was their big sister, I hope. Yeah, you were so good at that. 
Okay. No, but naturally, it was authentic. Yeah, it was authentic. I genuinely loved what I did on that show. I loved the people that I worked with. I loved the contestants. I'm still in, I mean, listen, I still message back and forth with, you know, Brenda now. Brenda Edwards used to, I mean, her and I, she used to bring her kids in to use my dressing room on a Friday to do their homework. You know, Jamal, who now runs the world. Um, and Chico, I chat to on Facebook. And uh, Michelle McManus, I check in on from Pop Idol. Will Young is still, you know, somebody I consider a friend. So, yeah, we, I think, you know, we, those shows, certainly in their infancy, were huge. Uh, we got used to them after a while, but for those first three or four years, they, they were massive. Absolutely massive. Um, it seemed to come to a fairly abrupt end, certainly from the outside looking in. Um, <laughs> in for you, what, what actually happened? Um, I was, uh, but we what you've read, you know, I mean, it's, gosh, it's like, you know, what? it's funny you say that, what actually happened? I'm thinking, what did actually happen? It's such a long time ago. Um, yeah, they didn't renew my contract, having said that they would. And by they, I mean Simon, you know, it's his show, his gig. Um, and I'd had conversations, there'd been speculation in the press that I was going to get the push. And I asked, you know, oh, is that the case? And if it is, please, can you just give me the dignity of resigning? Um, you know, don't throw me out as a cheap headline because hopefully our friendship and our history would qualify that I mean a little bit more than that. Um, but that didn't happen. Does that still hurt now? No, Jesus, no. Did it not at the time? Come on. If, if you, if you love oh, it. A little bit, but listen, you're asking me that in the middle of a pandemic True. where people are losing their lives and we are putting far too much importance next to what is an anecdote at best in my life. Sure, but also not just an anecdote, a turning point, And you've obviously gone on. No, to yeah, but, but I don't think, I think people expect it to mean more than it does. It's a job. Mm. You know, I've had lots of jobs before it and I've had lots of jobs since. Um, and it's just a job. And yes, it hurt. It hurt more that I felt like uh, somebody that I considered to be a friend hadn't been up front with me. Mm. You know, being pushed out of a show in this industry, sorry, if you can't handle that, you shouldn't be doing it because them's the breaks. You know, I'm sure you you know, yeah, it was your first big lesson in that, wasn't it? Was that the first time? Oh, you yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and what and did you think? Really it was public. It was very public. You know, it was on the news at 10. It was embarrassing. It was humiliating and it kind of burnt for a bit. And then you process it, you know, and you have to go, I'm not letting this define me. But, you know, somebody else made a decision that has impacted my life. And I had no control over that, but I do have control over how I let it impact me. Mm. And I decided that what I would do with that is go, do you know what? That was brilliant. It, it gave me, as you say, a turning point in my career but it's up to me now to take it forward and do something else with it. And that's what I've done. And yeah, it's tough and you develop the skin of a bloody rhino. And I'm just only grateful that it happened in a time pre-social media. Otherwise I'm sure it would have hurt a lot more now, you know, that would have really hurt. Um, um, and maybe I'm playing it down. Maybe it did mean more at the time. I truly, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to be as honest as I can with you. Um, but I, I have to say I enjoyed working on the show. I didn't enjoy the way it ended, but I refused to let the way it ended inform the memories I have of what were some really bloody great years. Did they ever give you a reason? No. They don't have to. You know, they just decide, do they want to renew your contract or do they not? 
it was time for a change was what I was told so no 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 they do I think you deserve more than that but anyway you know thank you but you know what that's that's the business right um you know if I'd have been delivering news like that to somebody would I have done it in the same way 100% no would I have treated somebody with a a greater level of, of respect yes of course but that's me and I'm only accountable for my behavior I can't be accountable for the way somebody else behaves absolutely I do just think though that um you've talked about that rhino thick skin and I do uh, I do think most people watching um you on television or listening to this podcast they do kind of assume that you have some kind of superhuman ability not no we don't don't you are a human being and we've seen uh cases uh very recently about just how crippling it can be to for it all to be played out in public and i think that's the thing we need to be a bit kinder about and uh, your that's journey- what i'm saying you know i wouldn't have i wouldn't have i wouldn't have uh done it the way it was done had i been the person making those those calls um and i think you know you have to remember we lived it, it was a different time then um I think we're far more mindful and kind, um, certainly in the wake of, of, of the, you know, I mean, it's tragic what happened with Caroline, utterly tragic. And, and it's not just her, you know, there's, there's people impacted by, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, gosh, you could spend hours talking about it and never do it a, a full service and, and do it justice. Um, yeah, you know, it bloody hurts, but you have to decide how you, let it impact you. And that's the thing I gave a lot of thought to. Um, and I did, you know, don't get me wrong, the first few months, it really, like I said, it burnt. That's probably the best way of describing it. I felt burnt um, and, and humiliated because people were really, really kind and lovely, but it's all anyone ever talked to me about for months. So I'd go out and just go to Sainsbury's and they'd be like, oh, you'd always get the cocked head and they're, you okay? And... They mean really well, but after a while, it's so diminishing. You know, you feel like um, that you're a you know that, that you're at one one endless pity party. Well, and like you've been done by different, isn't it? Of course, because it's like you know that doesn't go on the fucking news at ten, does it? But in the end, you know, actually, what you do in that moment is when somebody cocks their head and says, "Are you okay?" You just go, I'm absolutely fine. It was a job. How are you? Are you all right? Because do you know what? Most people losing their jobs, and I say this at a time when people have, are facing massive financial uncertainty. I lost a really, you know, I lost a job in a really public way. But let's be honest, I was paid very handsomely for it. And it gave me enough to put in the bank to lick my wounds and repair myself, which is a luxury most people do not have afforded to them when they are removed from a job that they love. And um, so am I feeling sorry for myself? No. Well, you know, there are people way in way worse positions than I was left. And in the end, I had to kind of just take control of, of this kind of lovely support and sympathy that came from people and just go, do you know what? I'm fine. It's just a job. It really is just a job. In the pink and bows, really want to help during this lockdown. Now, whether we can or not, is another question but we can try and we're going to do that by giving away some more Bose noise cancelling headphones. To win them just 
share mini anecdotes from your time in lockdown and give us some feedback on this series. Always put in the hashtag Bose and tag in a couple of mates to do the same and you never know those headphones could be yours. Good luck, stay safe and stay connected. You're anything but diminished. I, and I think that resilience has sort of shone through with your career. And I feel like in some ways, a show like Loose Women actually really shows you for who you are and gave you much more scope to do more, be have more uh, opinions and, and, and maybe sort of channel the conversation in the way that you see fit, which is what I feel you're really good at. I loved that show. And I'm still really good friends with the girls on the show. Um, yeah, it was one that came at a time in my life where I just had a baby. I, I was, how old was Ben? He was coming up 18 months when I joined. And uh, yeah, I, I, you know what? Again, that's another show where I look back and I go, that was so much fun. It was so much fun. Um, and that, that's exactly the same perspective I applied to The X Factor, to Pop Idol. But actually, the, the shows that I loved making more than any were when I was a travel reporter for the BBC. That for me, if I could go back and, and if I had to go through my CV and pull out one show that I'd go back to in a heartbeat, it would be that. Yeah, sadly, it's not going to happen anytime soon. Maybe I'm rose tinting my glasses far too much. Oh, no, I just, I think we're all craving travel at the moment. I'm just, oh. I'm going walking down to the bus stop, let alone going yeah. over to Monaco yeah. free. Bloody Bethany, hell. How have you, I mean, how have you navigated those tricky moments in your career? Have you had any experience of those? Because I think it's really helpful for, for people to listen uh, to a conversation like this because actually I think our greatest lessons in life come from the toughest moments. 100%. Um, and it took me a while, like you were saying with the X Factor, for me to stop feeling, um, to take control of that narrative yeah. and just to go, okay, it's fine. It's actually, and actually, because it, it was fine. Mm. Um, you have to kind of own those moments a little bit. I think, I think the best thing, um, I, I definitely have a support network away from television, which, mm. um, and, and actually this is some advice that, um, I got when I, when I saw a therapist after Caroline died, who was giving sort of grief advice at this lovely lady called Julia Samuel. And she was explaining to me that the, the importance, particularly if you're in the public eye, of creating an alter ego so that you don't put the whole you out there um, so that the real you is in some way guarded and safe. And that's something that I just wished so much for Caroline. But she was just so exposed and she's such a beautiful fragile I, I still talk about her in the present because I, I can't get my head around it but um she's so fragile and so brilliant at everything she did that she was always going to be a star but um she didn't hold enough of her own self back to protect it if you know what I mean um so look I don't know I don't know what the answers are um you you do need to be robust in life whatever you do and um, you don't have to be so robust that you pretend you're impenetrable because it's like, I mean, listen, we, I'm giving you completely contradictory statements here because, uh, because nothing's ever black and white when it comes to the complexities of how somebody feels mm -hmm. and how they're treated on, especially when you put, when we talk about Caroline and how she was, how she must have been feeling with what was going on in her, her life, the way people felt that they were licensed to comment on it. That's really tricky. You know, when I said to you, well, what happened with the x Factor? I don't know if I would have coped as well and bounced back as quickly if social media had been a thing then. Because it was hard. I mean, I could just go, I'm not going to read the newspapers. Mm. And I just disengage. And of course you can do that with social media to a degree. To a degree. But I think it's something that, you know, I, 
I think we were really, we, we were looking at ourselves a lot after what happened with Caroline mm. and how, and behaviors. And I, I know that obviously coronavirus has completely overtaken everybody's conversations, but I hope we return to that and that there is some legacy uh, for her, which is a kinder, nicer way of being. The internet needs to become kinder. I really hope so. I think it's the, it's, it's, it's the fact that a comment from somebody anywhere in the world can just pop up in your bedroom or your living room and it just attacks you right there and then in that moment. So, you know, you may have decided, made a conscious effort not to watch the news or pick up papers, but suddenly people can directly, directly jab at you. And yeah. obviously you've got to let them because you've got to open social media, but there is an addictive element to that as well. I mean, I think this, as you say, this is a conversation which is, which is far greater and we, we, we can't do it justice, but I, I, I think we should return to it. And so, yeah. I hope so as well now, because yeah. I, I think, you know, part of me goes, I don't want to have this conversation because I don't have the answers, but that actually nobody's, nobody's listening for the answers. They're listening for a reasonable, intelligent debate. And that, and a debate takes time. We can't give that in a soundbite or 140 characters. It deserves, it deserves more than that. And she deserves more than that. And other people that have felt the same pain uh, that Caroline was obviously carrying with her, they deserve a wider conversation. So I, 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 I kind of go back and forth on this. Like, should I jump in and say something uh, and spark debate? But I'm mindful of saying something that's then taken out of context and it becomes more damaging than helpful. Mm -hmm. And then the other part of me goes, but don't, don't be ridiculous. This needs to be talked about. You have a platform, you must use it. So I, I, I go back and forth on it. I, I really do. But I would welcome an intelligent conversation about how we can find a better way forward once everybody feels like they are back in some sort of normal living and... Um, and, and the world as we once knew it before lockdown. <laughs> what would be good is a kind of round table discussion, I think, with you know a handful of people that um, can offer different perspectives. I mean, I think from your experience working at the Daily Mirror, although it was brief, um, you have always sort of dipped in and out of that, that journalist, put your journalist hat back on and off. Um, do you train as a journalist, you never stop thinking yeah about you're the same with the work that you do even with f1 you're reporting a story yeah. the story of the race the story of that driver that's what a journalist is and and i even when i hosted the x factor i was telling you know if we had 12 contestants on i had 12 stories to tell that night that's the way i looked at it um on loose women we had four topics to run and two guests that's six stories to tell right that's you go out your host this morning it's nine segments that's nine stories to tell that's the way i approach everything and i think once you've been trained to think like that you, you kind of can't help it mm. you kind of you know you are i, I would consider you a journalist yeah. I, I don't you know and i'm sure you consider yourself one too yeah it's funny actually because um in the past i've thought of journalism as well a journalist as being a bit of a dirty word and i know that's unfair because there's some absolutely brilliant ones out there that we couldn't do without um, but I was on the receiving end of a couple of bad stories and I thought, oh, you know, I just find that. And actually my mum, my mum originally trained as a journalist. She's a barrister now, but she, she started wow. and she said, 
what put her off was she was working for the local newspaper and there was a road traffic accident where a young boy was killed and she was sent by her editor to the front door to knock on the parents door and she was shaking in her boots she absolutely knew it wasn't and didn't feel the right thing to be doing and the father came out and said shame on you and mum literally put down her pen pad and pencil and never did it again. She loves writing. Um, she's definitely like you, kind of approaches things with that kind of framework. But um, I think that the problem is it's an umbrella term across so many things. We, we obviously can't do without them. But do, do you feel that? Um, do you feel like the papers get a bad rap? Do you feel how? Do you, not just in Caroline's case, but sort of generally at the moment, where do you feel we're placed with um, the tabloids at the moment in this country? I don't, I don't really. I don't think of it's, it, the tabloids are the tabloids. When I think about great journalism, I think about Tom Bradby on the News at 10. I think of Emily Andrews, their health correspondent, bringing us uh, the insight that she's been delivering. Uh, Robert Peston challenging, uh, you know, I'm just using that as, an, as, a, as a news team. Um, that, that's journalism. I think of um, the, the most brilliant book that I read this year, Catch and Kill by Ronan Farrow. Which was his, oh, so, and he's and he's done it as a podcast as well, so you can listen to it in podcast form. Which was his story of exposing Harvey Weinstein, and and then later Matt Lauer on the Today Show for their sexual misconduct and wrongdoing. Um, that's journalism, and you're right. We when you, when somebody says I'm a journalist, you automatically think of it in in, in slightly grubby terms, but actually at a time like this, when we are all on lockdown and our, our information is delivered to us by journalists, they are key workers, you know, they are, they are delivering news to us. Don't confuse one with the other. A great journalist is a great storyteller, a great deliverer of news. And there are lots of them out there at the moment doing a brilliant job keeping us informed so that we can keep ourselves safe. And I think to sit and talk about a sidebar of journalism, which is tabloid journalism, is exactly that. It's a sidebar of journalism, but actually look at the grand landscape. Um, there is some brilliant storytelling happening in the world at the moment. And I would implore anybody, if you really want to understand what a great journalist is, go and read Catch and Kill. Go and listen to the podcast. It will blow your mind. Really? And you're right, because it's about holding people to account as well. Um, yeah, and that's why I wanted to become a journalist. I didn't want to go and knock on somebody's door in, in, in the shoes that your mum was put in. I wouldn't have done that. I couldn't do that. But do I want to impart conversation and information? And yeah, I do. I really do. And I'm really proud to do that. And the podcast that I host, White Wine Question Time, I'm really proud of, of the stories that it elicits from people and enables them to show the very best of themselves. And that for me is great. That's great journalism. So I... I um, I just, I think, I think let's just park the tabloids because at the moment, especially with where we are, I mean, you can debate what they do and how they do it. And, and but still millions of people buy them and read them. But I think there are other sources of great journalism that we are reliant on at the moment. And actually our broadcasters, uh, our, our journalists that are delivering the news that are helping to keep us safe right now, they, they, they are important. And I guess the uh, the beauty of podcasts, and um, I'm sure yours, White Wine Question Time, I love the title, um, is 
the beauty of them is that they're not edited. You're not, they're not scripted. They're not, they're you, they're you in your own words. And I think that's why people feel safe in them because they can't have their words twisted in say the way a tabloid would. Yeah. I think so too. I think, and also I think in an age where we, we became so uh, deficient in our attention spans, like everything was quicker, quicker, quicker. You know, I mean, I work in digital content now as well. And it's like, no, you've got to do that in under a minute. It's like, why? Why do we have to do it in under a minute? Jesus, can people not concentrate for a minute? Um, you know, and actually what podcasts did was they slowed down the conversation. They enabled it to breathe and for detail to underpin it. And that's brilliant and beautiful and necessary sometimes. You can't tell everything quickly. Um, and it reintroduced the art of conversation, which I think was in danger of becoming lost. You know, on one of the episodes we did um, with the host of Control Alt Delete, Emma Gannon, I picked up on something that she was been talking about on one of her podcasts, which was, you know, you could, their generation. So you're kind of talking ten years younger than me, you know, people early thirties, I suppose. She's like, you know, nobody just phones people now, and I was like, well, why not? No, you can't just phone somebody, they'll think someone's died. What you've got to do is text them to tell them that you're calling. I was like, no, I'm not having this. Conversation is so important. It really is. It's all we have is like the ability to communicate. And we don't have to type it out. We can speak it sometimes. And you, you can phone somebody without scheduling a call and sending them a calendar invite. Um, oh, please talk to my husband because he is... It, Exactly from her school of thought. He will, if I ring him, we'll be like, yes, what's Rutter? And I, well, then must not just ring I'm just calling. And the amount of times he wants to schedule things in, I will be upset. I've come up to the, the, um, the spare room, the only quiet room in the house. We're subbing in and out of this room to do Zoom calls because the rest of the house is absolute carnage. Hey, yeah. But quite regularly, I'll be up here just getting messages from him on my phone saying, yeah. oh, Pinky, I need to schedule 10 minutes with you. And I'm like, I'm only upstairs, mate. Just Did your 10 minutes with you. No, no. Is it, is it, your mum about a good divorce lawyer. Anyway. <laughs> I'm joking, by the way. But yeah, um, I think I love, I love the conversation. You know, I love the podcast. Has, it's a celebration of conversation and it proves that we can still, you know, give our attention to something that's more than three minutes or a minute or one minute 30 or 140 characters. And, 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 and that's necessary. And at the moment, I think people are finding great comfort in podcasts, um, especially when they are on lockdown. And if you're, you know, some, for some people, they might be feeling like they don't want to engage in a conversation, but that's not to say they don't want to listen to one. Mm. And I think, you know, there is, there is something in that. Um, and you have a very super deep connection with listeners of your podcast, especially the ones that listen to every episode. You know, I, I feel like I have grown a community I know, I know all the people that post and I know which one's a headmistress, who's going through chemotherapy, um, which one lives in Spain, or oh, this one's just relocated to Australia and, you know, our podcast helps her feel connected to home. That's, I've never had that on telly. That's special. That's really special. Now I'm conscious of the time. It's 25. Go. I'm sorry, babe. I've got to go and do a podcast. Yay! Listen, it's so lovely to talk to you, and I hope we'll oh, be this up again soon. Because uh, I do. And that I'm. I really hope you're well and safe. And don't let your husband schedule time with you. He should always have time for you. You're his wife, his queen, his everything. 
This is true. I tell you what, he's probably outside listening to a podcast as we speak. Um, <laughs> loads, and loads of love. Thank you so much for your time. And yeah, look after Lots yourself, man. I will do. Lots of love. Thank you so much for your time, Kate. Um, lovely to chat. I felt like we just scraped the surface on a few topics there that probably need exploring a bit further. So perhaps when lockdown's completely lifted and we can all get together in big groups, we can have a kind of round table discussion on some of the points raised. Because I know that um, plenty of people would like to just push the debate forward a bit more. Anyway, thank you also for your company. And don't forget, you can still win those Bose noise-cancelling headphones. Rate, root, review and subscribe. Tag your friends in, put the hashtag Bose. And you could be winning a pair, which would be lovely. Because they are brilliant. really are. Um, okay, plenty more guests on the way, including Michelle Moan, Sir Chris Hoy, uh, Mark Billingham from SAS Who Dares Wins, Billy, and back to Formula One, we've got Danny Kvyat, George Russell, and plenty more on the way. And we've got that date, July the 5th. It's looking more and more promising, isn't it, to go racing again. So uh, lots to look forward to. I hope that you're all well and that you're coming out of these crazy times stronger for it. Uh, make sure that you stay in touch with us, stay connected, and we will see you, at least speak to you again, very soon. Bye for now. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.